Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Church. Welcome visitors and welcome old friends. I'm Angela Herrera, the senior minister here, and I'm here this morning with lay leader John Eldridge, music director Susan Peck, our technical arts director Chris Paul, and our wonderful volunteer tech team who help us every week. We're so grateful for them. And we are all so glad to be with you today on this very warm June morning. If you're visiting for the first time and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and your location in the chat box so that we can greet you. And I also want to extend a very special greeting to somebody that most of you already know, but we haven't seen her for a while. Welcome back, Jane Davis. Oh, thank you. It is so good to be back. I missed y'all. We missed you too. Jane served as our ministerial intern here from 2018 until 2020. And at the end of her internship, she said goodbye. And as is required of all ministers departing UU congregations, she went off to spend one year away. And can you believe it? That year is already over. Yes, it has been an interesting year. Um, I had a challenging experience of working with those members of our Albuquerque community who are returning to us from incarceration. I worked with uh, helping them get the resources they need to support their return to covenant with our community. A wonderful ministry that you're doing. Well, last month, the congregation voted in a special meeting to ordain Jane to the ministry, and we're going to be able to announce a date soon. We're working on that, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And then um, after that, we can talk about affiliation, which is when a congregation and a minister who's serving the community around make a covenant to support each other's ministries. It's a kind of partnership that ministers and congregations can form. Yes, I am. Uh, I, I can't tell you how uh, grateful and honored I am that uh, this congregation is ordaining me. That means so much to me. And I am also so excited about the potential for good ministry uh, that exists uh, in the community of this congregation. Me too. And you and I have had a lot of rich conversations about the possibilities. So I'm really looking forward <laughs> to working together. For today though, it's just welcome back, Jane. It's really great to see you. Good morning. It's great to be with you again. We have an announcement today. Are you visiting today or would you like to personally welcome our guests? Join us today after the service for new to first you. After the credits at the end of the service, stay in this meeting to be placed in a breakout room with other visitors and our Director of Membership and Communications, Lara Magnuson. She will be available to answer your questions about our community. Hi, I'm Reverend Bob, and I'm dropping into our service today to offer a humble invitation. I'd like to invite you to make an investment and First Unitarian Churches of Church of Albuquerque's future. I want to invite you to help us help fund our purchase of the ARC building. Now you may have heard that on May 16th, this congregation voted overwhelmingly to purchase the ARC building 
that lies on the south side of our campus. This single-story building with 18 offices will give us many options as we dream about our future as a justice-seeking and community-building church. We're purchasing the building now because the prior owners, Ark of New Mexico, have moved to another building and offered it to us before putting it on the open market. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity. I'll be honest, though. It is, for sure, an awkward time to purchase a building. But the moment does have its advantages. In fact, I think it's helpful to have this pandemic time to think in a collaborative and methodical way about how to use the building without pressure or the need to rush. We also understand that this is an awkward time to ask for money. Some folks are still paying for their social hall pledges. Other folks have been financially impacted by the pandemic. However, we're also seeing lots of generosity. A few dozen folks from within this congregation have already informally committed more than $300,000 to the purchase price of around $500,000. But whatever your financial cir circumstances are, we invite you to give what's comfortable for you and no more. And if no gift is possible right now, that is totally fine. This week, we'll be sending out an online form that you can use to make your donation. If you don't see it, you can also find it on our website. The new building is a blank canvas for the hopes and dreams of this vibrant and growing church. And I hope that you'll offer your support as we grow. If you have any questions about the ARC Building Capital Campaign or the ARC Building in general, send me an email at blavalley at uuabq.org. And thank you for considering this. As we light our congregational chalice this morning, please feel free to light your chalice at home. When we kindle this light, we are joining with earnest people everywhere who seek in the midst of their busy lives a deeper way, a larger hope, a just and peaceful world. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited to introduce our guest musicians this morning. I had reached out to Chris Matthews a while back and be on the recommendation of several of my colleagues on the East Coast. Chris is a musical activist on the East Coast in the DC area, and she's been doing a lot of work with Unitarian congregations. About seven years ago, Chris met another DC area musician, Heather May, who also does wonderful social justice work in um, LGBTQ areas, in mental health areas, wonderful songwriter. The two of them, partnered up to do a tour last year in 2020, and their tour went from being live to virtual, but they've been making music together for over a year, and we have three wonderful videos from Chris Matthews and Heather May. Here's the first one. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for welcoming us into your church family. This is Heather May. Hi. And I'm Chris Matthews. And we donned our best pride attire so that we could celebrate our pride with you today. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. I've traveled all across. 
with every track A rampant man with his whole life packed upon his tired back Planes and trains and buses No us and them, just me and you And every person's like a book with a story yet to tell So good to meet you exactly where you are. If, if we had Chris and Heather in our sanctuary live as guest musicians during after the service, you'd be able to go chat with them and and buy their CDs. We are posting their um, website information in the chat and at the end of the service on the credits if you want to find out more about these two amazing musicians. Thank you. Miss Ann, would you like the chalice as we say our principles? Each person is important. Kind and fair in all you do. We're free to learn together. We search for what is true. All people need a voice. Build a fair and peaceful world. We take care of our planet. We work together for diversity and against racism and oppression. Thank you, everybody. Good morning. I'm Mia Noren, your Director of Religious Education. I was excited to learn that we would talk about love today. June is Pride Month, which reminds us that all love is love. I had planned to talk about love and diverse family structures. And then I started coming across articles about what love is, like exactly what love is. Well, I had never really thought about love this way before. I mean, 
I know that there are different kinds of love, but these classifications that the ancient Greeks came up with was news to me. I wish I had known about this years ago. And so I decided I needed to share this with you. What is love? Love has been studied since ancient times and the Greeks, naturally, have classified it all for us. Let's talk about these eight classifications of love. We will start with storage. Storage is the first love we know. It's natural or instinctual love rooted in the relationships of family, of parents and children. Storage describes an infinite love built upon acceptance and deep emotional connection. It is unconditional and allows us to forgive things we might not forgive in anyone else. It is also the deep connection we have with our best friend. Storage describes us when we happily sacrifice our time, ourselves and our personal pleasures for the benefit of loved ones and the joy we get out of sharing memorable and impactful moments, our family stories over and over again. Philia is love without romantic attraction, a close friendship. It is love based on mutual respect, shared devotion, joint interests, and common values. It is mutual and platonic, the accepting love between friends and equals, also known as brotherly love, almost family. Philia also describes the close bond we develop with our animal companions. Philotia means self-love, and there is a positive and a negative form. The positive, healthy version allows you to recognize your self-worth and not ignore your personal needs. Having pride in your work, taking care of yourself, and maintaining a loving inner dialogue are all parts of Philotia. Self-love begins with acknowledging your responsibility for your well-being. Eleanor Brown said, self-care is not selfish. You cannot serve from an empty vessel. Philotia is essential for any relationship, for we can only love others if we truly love ourselves and care for others only if we truly care for ourselves. Eros. I bet you've seen this child before. You might also know them by their Latin name, Cupid. Eros describes passionate love displayed through physical attraction and the desire for another person's physical body. The Greek philosophers also used the word Eros to describe the mind's attraction to visions of beauty. Ludus. A more common definition of Ludus is play, most commonly in reference to sports, games, and a training center for gladiators. Really? For our purposes here, it's also used to describe the playful affection commonly found in the beginning stages of a relationship. Teasing, giggling, flirting, all are manifestations of ludus. Although often associated with new love, established couples who retain this playfulness often report a more rewarding relationship. Mania. Mania describes 
and obsessive love toward a partner, unbalanced eros, passion, and a lack of healthy philotia, self-esteem, can transition into mania. Stalking, jealousy, codependency, and violence are all symptoms of this type of mania. For people suffering with obsession, love can feel like a bomb for low self-esteem. And sufferers of this type of mania are desperate to keep the sense of self-value that their desired partner provides. Pradba is about couples who have been together for a long time. Couples develop pragma by working together to reach a common goal, developing deep understanding and unique harmony along the way. Commitment and dedication are required to reach pragma. Instead of falling in love, you are standing in love with the partner you want by your side indefinitely. While Eros is about finding love, Pragma is about giving love. Patience, tolerance, and compromise are essential elements of committed love. Here is our final classification. Agapi. Agapi is selfless, unconditional love for the entire world, neighbors, strangers, everybody. It is the highest level of love existing on the spiritual plane. Agape is given without the expectation of receiving anything in return. Offering agape is a decision to spread love to all, even in dangerous circumstances. Like the Hebrew and Buddhist traditions of chesed and meta, agape is the central foundation of loving kindness for all mankind. It is associated with charity, compassion, and the ability to forgive. It is another form of unconditional love, not only for family like storage, but universal and transcendent, encompassing charity that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. And we're back to the beginning. I hope that you've enjoyed learning more about love with me and that these words we've explored will help you learn more about love, every kind of love in your own lives. So I wonder, did you notice something different in the children's recitation of UU principles? I know a few people uh, noted it in the chat box. Instead of the usual seven principles, the kids shared eight. The seven principles that our denomination has adopted can be found in our hymnals. And since you probably don't have one of those in front of you right now, you can also find it on the uua.org website. And along with the regular version of the principles, you can find a children's version of them there. The principles include things like working for peace and justice, caring for the planet, honoring the inherent worth and dignity of every person, in recent years, some UU congregations have also begun adopting an eighth principle. In the children's video, we heard what that principle sounds like when it's added to the children's version of the principles. We work together for diversity and against racism and oppression. When I returned from sabbatical earlier this month, I was surprised to learn that the video had been shared in worship several times and that nobody had asked why the kids had included something new. 
Although our congregation has not yet formally considered adopting the proposed eighth principle, I think one reason it may not stand out is that many of us have already adopted it in our hearts. The new principle does not sound surprising when we do church and we set expectations for our church as though it were already there. And yet naming something as a principle moves it from things we may do to the foundation from which we do everything. An important distinction. I expect that we will formally consider the eighth principle as a congregation, probably after we are back together on campus, which I hope will be just very soon, <laughs> coming soon. Between now and then though, if you're curious, you can start learning more by searching eighth UU principle online after church. For now, let's go ahead and mute the chat box for a bit of meditation and prayer time. And I invite you to breathe with me. Get centered wherever you are standing or sitting or resting. Let your attention go to the thing that's supporting you, whether it's a seat or the floor or the earth. And go ahead and give your weight over to it. Each of us carries so much in our day-to-day -day lives. So go ahead and just let yourself be held for a couple of minutes now. We'll continue in two minutes of silence. And when you notice your mind wandering, just gently bring it back to your breath and to being held. We continue in silence.
From a distance, our congregation might look like a far-off galaxy shining brightly in the deep darkness. We all know that while we all might shine, that the effort to do so sometimes flows strongly and sometimes it dims. Let's share the lights of our joys and then later share our efforts simply to keep shining. Please share your joys and concerns in the chat bar now as prompted by our video. If you cannot share in the chat bar today for any reason, still we want to hear from you. And so contact us at caring at uuabq.org. vida nació un sueño de una vida nació una canción nació esta familia linda nació esta visión regresará en esa milpa por ahí mamá usted regresará mi daddy pluma de una pajarita mis hermanas mis hermanos somos agua y fuego y tierra regresará la cometa del invierno, Manuel, José Manuel. Nació esta visión, y usted regresará en esa milpa por ahí. regresará y daré pluma de una pajarita mis hermanas mis hermanos somos agua y fuego y tierra regresará va que bella es la vida Misteriosa, maravillosa, mira qué lindo.
Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Source of all, all these joys and concerns, all these loved ones we lift up to you, to the great powers of healing, renewal and celebration known by many names. And this is Pride Month, and this is the week of Juneteenth. And so today, especially, we call upon not just the great powers of celebration, but the great powers of liberation too. Source of love and life, we pray for the liberation of all your people, all people born from the source of all, already holy from the moment they are born. We pray for liberation from prejudice, from fear, from oppression of every kind, liberation from the prejudice encountered and liberation from the prejudice within. Liberation for queer, trans, straight, black, brown, white, large, small, young, old, and every body. Liberation of hearts and minds too. Liberation, celebration, and love. We pray for it, we give thanks for it, and we dedicate ourselves to it. Amen. Peace be with you. I can feel you, but I can't stop you. And I don't want to. So I don't. And they can't see us. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's
Our reading this morning is Now is the Time by the 14th century Persian poet Hafiz. Now is the time to know that all that you do is sacred. Now, why not consider a lasting truth between you and God? Now is the time to understand that all your ideas of right and wrong were just a child's training wheels to be laid aside when you finally live with veracity and love. Hafiz is a divine envoy whom the beloved has written a holy message upon. My dear, please tell me, why do you still throw sticks at your heart and God? What is it in that sweet voice inside that incites you to fear? Now is the time for the world to know that every thought and action is sacred. This is the time for you to compute the impossibility that there is anything but grace. Now is the season to know that everything you do is sacred. This week I've been looking into the history of pride in Albuquerque. <clears throat> and while I was at it, I learned that the state of New Mexico has a really layered history of sexual liberation and oppression. In the time before Europeans arrived here, in this land it was already widely understood among Navajo and Pueblo cultures that gender was not an either or or binary thing. There were third and even fourth genders. But Christian colonizers sought to impose their view, a different view, they removed children from their families in order to indoctrinate them and to disrupt and dismantle the old cultures. And they persecuted anybody who did not conform to their strict categories of male and female. Meanwhile, though, in some of the same decades in which this cultural violence was still taking place in the 1900s, at that same time, gay, lesbian, and transgender white people from other parts of the US were actually coming into New Mexico. They came to form artist communities where they could be free to express themselves. People like Georgia O'Keeffe and Mabel Dodge Lujan. And it also happened in New Mexico that sometimes there would be ranches that were headed by two New Mexican women and no men. And that was simply understood and accepted. The women would be referred to often in the community as las tias or las comadres semi-familial names that simultaneously acknowledged and glossed over the women's relationship. So there was liberation and oppression and liberation, and then there was oppression again as the security state took root here. It arrived, <clears throat> excuse me, it arrived, the security state, in the 1940s in the form of Los Alamos and Sandia National Laboratories. And those brought with them the policies of the federal government those policies included policies to eradicate homosexuals, supposedly for the long-term security of the country. This was the period of moral panic known as the Lavender Scare. 
As the federal government purged lesbian and gay people from its institutions, it normalized persecution of them. And that impacted New Mexico, eroding what had become a localized acceptance, a localized culture of acceptance. So it happens that despite New Mexico's history of sexual and gender diversity, by the time the Stonewall riot happened in New York City in 1969 and it launched the gay rights movement, many LGBT people in Albuquerque had been living in the shadows or persecuted and or persecuted and they were tired of it. So the next year in 1970, Albuquerque's first gay organization was formed. It took place at UNM. Gay Liberation was the group's name and that was eventually changed a few times and eventually changed to Juniper. Juniper then helped to get the Metropolitan Community Church started. That is a church explicitly for the LGBT population and it still exists today. And in 1976, people from Juniper and people from Metropolitan Community Church organized the first Pride March. According to PJ Cedillo, who wrote a book about the history of Pride in Albuquerque, that first march was a pretty informal event. There were no permits, no petition to the city council or anything like that. Instead, about 25 people set out from an after hours bar called the Warehouse and marched several blocks along Central Avenue and then dispersed. And that was it. Two things strike me about the image of that first parade. First, imagine marching as an LGBT person in a time when that was considered very radical with only two dozen other people in the center of town. It would have taken a lot of courage. And second, it's remarkable how actions that might seem small at the time, only 25 people and apparently no media coverage how those small things can wind up contributing in big ways to social transformation and liberation. We've made a lot of gains in New Mexico and beyond on these issues. Would those first marchers have believed that 40 years later, the Pride Parade would be an annual event that draws thousands of spectators and that churches and local businesses and banks and politicians would line up to participate and to show their support? What a success and what a thing worth celebrating. And we're still learning, aren't we? We're still learning. For one thing, I think that even most progressive people still try to sort sexuality and love and gender and therefore people into certain boxes. And the thing about boxes is that they tend to be pretty rigid while most things human are softer and more dynamic. Several years ago, one of my colleagues, the Reverend Gretchen Haley, published a really beautiful blog post about her experiences of love. And in the text version of this sermon, which you can find on the website this week, I'll include a link to her blog post. So you can read the whole thing if you would like. So in it, she talks about her experiences of love and Gretchen is married to a woman today. So people tend to automatically think of her as a lesbian. And she says she is tired. She gets tired of correcting them that it feels like having to come out again and again and again. And sometimes she doesn't bother to correct them. In her post, she reflects on her past loves. 
there was a boyfriend who had moved away to college and there was a woman she also had a romance with, a woman who was openly in another more long-term relationship at the same time with another woman. And sometimes the three women would all go out together. We didn't really know what we were doing, Gretchen writes. We didn't know if anyone else had ever loved like this. It was in the 90s, pre-Ellen. So they were in uncharted territory. We didn't mean to be so radical in our loving, she says, but there we were. Love and sexual orientation and gender identity are like that. They're not about being radical. They're just matters of the heart and spirit. Gretchen went on later to help with those two women's commitment ceremony and to witness the birth of their first son. They still count each other as family. Later, she fell in love with a man again, this time a good friend, and he loved her back, but he was gay. There they were. And then she met the woman who would become her wife. Whenever she saw her, Gretchen says, quote, I had this image of loving her until I was an old, old woman and hoping I never had to not be with her. And now they are married and they have two kids and a dog. Although my own love stories are different, there was a lot in Gretchen's words that I could relate to. And maybe there are things you can relate to as well. Loves that don't fit in a box, loves that do. Some people are consistent in the type of person they're attracted to and some people fall in love with and partner with just one person for their whole lives. But as Gretchen eloquently puts it, quote, for many of us, love and desire is a lot more complicated across our lifetimes. There are relationships we just cannot have words for that mean more to us in many ways than the relationships we do have words for. We surprise ourselves with desire for people that we would have never expected at other points in our lives. Some of those desires we act on, many of them we do not. Love changes and grows and fades and evolves because we do. Living things change." End quote. When love is portrayed in mainstream culture, it tends to still fall back in an old, really specific narrative about it. And that narrative goes like this. After you come of age, you date, you fall in love, you get married, you maybe have kids, you stay together until death do you part, and that is what success at love is. Sometimes this is called the relationship escalator, because you get on at dating and you get off at till death do us part. It just keeps on going up. In fact, the marriage equality movement kind of embraced that narrative too. As conservatives were raising the alarms about gay people wanting to change marriage, the marriage equality movement put forth an image of marriage that looked strikingly unchanged, save for one thing, gender. That's why when one of the first same-sex couples to get married ended up getting a divorce, I think it caused this weird moment of, wait, did we succeed? if gay people get divorced? The problem is the disconnect between the old heterosexual cultural narrative about romantic love and all the other ways love actually works. The LGBTQ community, having already been on the outside of the mainstream, has always included unconventional arrangements and love stories. And the rest of society could learn a lot from that diversity. Instead, mainstream society has held on to that old norm, that old narrative. 
But what I think is really funny about this is that the gap between diverse queer loves and who we think of as everyone else is really actually not that wide. Romance movies still pretty much all feature that relationship escalator, but in real life, people are much more creative. I'm thinking about some of the love relationships I've observed just in my own extended family and how different they are from each other. My husband's parents have been married for almost 60 years. They have shared a lifetime and they are each other's world. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty traditional and it's pretty rare these days. My own parents are divorced and nobody is sorry about that. Their love brought me and my sister into the world. I call that a win. And then they were no longer compatible. And now they are each partnered with people who are perfect for them. Then there's my grandfather, a proud conservative, who has had a girlfriend since I was a little kid. They dated and spent weekends together for about 30 years before they decided to finally share a home. They've never married. That's not traditional. Also, that girlfriend, she's my grandmother's cousin. And after my grandparents divorced and he started to date her, they all got along fine and they cared about each other and they were happy for each other. And I think everybody was happy for them too. Beyond my family, I've observed short and long, monogamous and non-monogamous, gay, straight and trans loves that were authentic and caring and unique to the people in them. I've known self-identified straight people who fell in love with someone of the same gender and self-identified gay people who fell in love with someone of a different gender. I can think of someone who has lived with their spouse and a person referred to as their roommate for decades. And it appears that the three of them love each other very much, even if the exact nature of their relationship has not been openly discussed. And sometimes a person comes out as transgender but stays partnered with the same person they've been with for years. In these and in so many of the other examples, our labels start to fray and they just don't fit very well. Living things change. We are multi-layered, dynamic and adaptive and it's okay not to fit in a box. Love is love, right? We aren't so different from one another in the end. And what's certainly true is that our liberation is interconnected. When one person is free to love who they love and to be their authentic self, we are all freer. And when, because of prejudice, a person is not free to do so, then none of us is truly free because we are all living within that same jail. It's just that not everybody has tried the door. Therefore, in all of our work for love and liberation, whether it's centered in sexuality, gender, race, or all of the above, let us make our circle of concern wider and wider until no one is left out. We now take our offering with the following words. We will be gone but we will have seen eternity in the sunrise and the image of the eternal in the clouds on the mountain. 
You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to use the chat, simply mail a check to the church. Our Change for the Future recipient for June, July, and August is the Brain Injury Alliance of New Mexico. The Brain Injury Alliance of New Mexico provides information, referral, support, and advocacy for people in New Mexico with brain injuries. This CFF funding will be used to hire an outreach coordinator eight hours per week to organize volunteers, search for funding opportunities, meet with community stakeholders, and distribute brain injury survival toolkits to clients and their families. Change for the Future program donations can be made virtually on our giving page, designate Change for the Future as the recipient. So much fear, so much chaos. You've been asking who's gonna save us. Turn off the TV and turn off your phone. Yeah, we're safe if we stay at home. We can sing. We can still dance the whole night through. We can lock eyes from across the room. We don't need a touch, I can feel you. Six feet apart, won't stop us. Don't need to hold you in my arms. I still know you in the dark. Just cause I can kiss you underneath the moonlight. I can't remember the last time I slowed down long enough to memorize the lines on your face and the way your life lights up our place. So tell me something that you haven't told me yet and I'll put on that dress from the night we met cause there's nowhere else I'd rather Hold you in my arms, I still know you in the dark. Just cause I can't kiss you underneath the moonlight. Doesn't mean you have to feel alone tonight. Let's get closer. From six feet up, we light up the dark. We can light up the dark if we don't let this change us. Ooh. 
What beautiful music today. What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of the Brain Injury Alliance of New Mexico. We are almost to the end of this service now. And as always, if you'd like to stay and visit with a small group, uh, we'll do breakout rooms after the service is over and you can just remain on the Zoom call and that will automatically take place. And whether you're having conversations in the breakout rooms or um, somewhere else in your life today, here's a discussion question, a prompt that you might like to consider. What is an assumption that others make about you that's inaccurate? Maybe a box they try to put you in. And what do you wish people knew? What is an assumption people make about you that's not accurate? And what do you wish they knew? Only things you feel comfortable sharing, of course. A discussion prompt to get your conversations flowing. And now as we extinguish our chalices and our candles, Go in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. <laughs>